Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944. That's 740-383-WWGH. Or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Greetings in the name of our Lord and welcome to the Wittenberg Door. I'm Pastor Wes Hermoek from Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Columbus, filling in today for Pastor Brett Cornelius. Pastor Brett wanted me to tell you that he is in, quote, the heart of darkness in Arbor, Michigan for a convention this week, and so I'm filling in. I'm supposed to be at the convention too, but I'm playing hooky. My wife just gave birth to our first child, a healthy, beautiful baby girl, so I'm staying local for the week and took the opportunity to talk to you folks instead. Pastor Brett loaned me his bodyguard, your friend and ours, yep. Alan Dean. Hey, Brett. Glad to be here. Glad for yeah. you to be here. Thank it was uh, you. nice to meet you again. I know yeah. I know. Uh, I met you a couple of months ago when I guest preached at your church, but Absolutely. it's good to see you again. And folks, as usual, we're going to discuss the news today from a Christian perspective, and we're going to discuss the good news too, namely that God in this way loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Today, as always, we're taking your calls and your online questions. You can call us at 740-383-9944. That's 740-383-WWGH. Or you can post a question or comment on our Facebook group, The Wittenberg Door. We're happy to hear and discuss what's on your mind. Now, I'm going to start today off with a, a very difficult topic, an emotionally charged topic. Uh-huh. You've heard it in the news it's all over the internet. You do top 10 news stories, uh, search on the computer. It's been there every day this week. Today we're going to discuss that flag controversy that has stemmed from that tragic shooting at the church in South Carolina. You guys talked about that uh, shooting last week, didn't you? The oh, yeah. Shooting, oh, yeah. 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 The controversy is whether or not the, the Confederate flag should continue to be flown on the grounds of the South Carolina State House. The controversy has exploded into other areas, such as many of our nation's stores pulling merchandise from the shelves that bear that flag. Now, I ask you to, to hear me carefully. This is a Christian radio show. I'm not trying to be a political radio show. I'm not here to say who is right or who is wrong. I'm not here to voice my opinion on the matter. I'm not here to discuss what should be done in South Carolina or any other state or business. Uh, we're not yeah. political analysts. Right, absolutely. Uh, yeah. um, I'm here to just offer some insight on how we as Christians can respond to the matter and also how we can confess our faith and still be patriots and supporters of our great country. This, this news story, as I said, is, uh, it's emotionally charged. When, uh, when you or I think of the flag, whether it be a state flag, a country's flag, a group's flag, Boy Scout flag, wh whatever the case may be, when we think of a flag, those thoughts evoke feelings. Feelings such as pride, honor, gratitude, sadness, anger, happiness. Now, whenever feelings, especially feelings so deep and powerful as the ones evoked by this controversy, whenever feelings are involved, it's very important that we don't have uh, reactions, knee-jerk reactions, to things that we see, hear, or read. Now, it's tempting, it's tempting to be sure, uh, but let's not only be mindful of our own feelings, but also the feelings of others. And, and let, also, let's, uh, let us also be mindful that uh, caring for others in part fulfills what our Lord commands when he says that we should love our neighbor uh, as ourselves. Absolutely. Uh, to, to fly a flag or, or, or to not fly a flag in this current uh, controversy, on part, uh, for the Christian, is really a matter of, of love for one's neighbor. 
with this particular issue, we have one side that says the flag being waved at the State House in South Carolina represents uh, slavery, oppression, uh, hatred, and, and racism. Uh, the other side of the issue says uh, that the flag represents uh, states' rights, freedom, heritage, and a memorial to those who lost their lives fighting for that cause. Now, Don't call. If, uh, if I can speak for what appears to be the case for a good number of Americans, and I'm, I'm purposely leaving the word majority out because I simply don't Hello? know the facts. Of, oh, we got a phone oh, call. Oh, we got a phone call. Oh, hey, boy. what's up? Are you there? Yes, I am. How are you doing? I am just barely hear you. I'm sorry to hear that. I can hear you. Can who's you hear who's calling? Okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Uh, I have a thought on this. Okay. Uh, we kind of always said, united we stand and divided we fall. I think for us, this country to stay together and, and be a very strong nation and a Christian nation, which we are, based on Christianity, I, I do believe that we should be united and live one mind. And love, I think, is the answer to love your brother as yourself. Absolutely. That's that's the point of our, our show here today. That's exactly what uh, the point we're trying to convey is. is well, I'm, I thank you so much for having this program on. And, and well, I will listen uh, off the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for calling thank in. Thank you. Um, and, and, and she made a very good point, and that's that's really the point of this show today is is to love our neighbor as ourself, and and whether or not we want to fly a flag or not fly a flag, and what that meaning uh, represents for each one of us, we have to be considerate of of other people's feelings on the issue, and, and that that great command that our Lord gave us to love our neighbor as ourself, we want that to uh, to to be on on the forefront. So uh, going going back to kind of where we left off there. Um, I don't know what the majority of Americans think. I know what the media often often tells us. But it would appear, and I think this is safe to say, that a good number of Americans believe that that Confederate flag represents a lot of negative things. All right. Well, we're back. Uh, you know... Maybe I was being cut off for for a good reason there. Maybe maybe I don't know. But um, I, I just not not to bore you with some, some linguistic stuff. But you know, in linguistics, it's it's a fact that the meanings of words change over time. And a contemporary example of this, um, and and this also is a charged word uh, now in our culture. But a contemporary example is the word uh, gay. If you said that word hundred years ago, it meant yeah happy happy, happy. yeah now. Alan, I don't know if you know anyone today, but I don't know anyone who uses the word that word today and means happy. No, no old music, I, you hear it you sometimes. Hear, you, but you hear it, it's, it's the, you know, 100 years ago. Oh, yeah. It's definitely. a long, it's a long time ago. Right, yeah. right. Well, uh, to make our, our application, um, a flag is more or less uh, a visible or a visual word. When you look at the American flag, uh, what are the images that come to mind? And, and let me give you an example. When you think of the word pizza, what do you think of? You think of cheese, maybe mm -hmm. pepperoni, maybe pepperoni. sausage. You think of the dough. Mm -hmm. If you're from New York, you think thick crust. I'm from New York. You think thick crust. Or you right. think thin crust. But we all kind of basically have the same thoughts when we hear the word pizza. Well, when you say the word flag or, or you stick the word American flag in front of it, uh, what are the images that, that, that you think of? Uh, Just the, the founding of the country, patriotism. Freedom. 
freedom. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the men and women who, who gave up their their lives for our freedom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can. And, and I think for the most part, most Americans uh, would probably agree with those uh, kind kind of things and images that uh, spark in our mind when we see the word or, or see the American flag. Well, of course, uh, with this controversy, the Confederate flag, it's different. Uh, what was perhaps historically a meaning of positive things has much since disappeared or is overshadowed with the negative, especially when we see examples uh, such as that young man uh, who toted that, oh. that flag uh, last week with that horrible, horrible, tragic uh, event in South Carolina. And um, now I do know people from the South, good, good people, not, not racist, not, not hatred people uh, in the South who still have positive feelings for the flag. I saw it on the news last night, uh, people uh, defending that, that po- those positive meanings. Uh, but unfortunately, or f- for better or for worse, the horrible negative feelings on the opposite side are just as real. And, and we shouldn't ignore them. And out of Christian love, as that caller called in a bit ago, out of Christian love, we should consider that sometimes our words and our symbols, such as flags, can become a stumbling block for others. And uh, I just want to read a couple portions of scripture mm-hmm. here. The Apostle Paul, throughout his epistles, particularly in Romans and 1 Corinthians, discusses the hot topic at the, at the time uh, of, meeting, of eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols, just, just to listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak? to eat food offered titles, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Just two chapters later, we hear Mm -hmm. Paul say again, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. And now we move to the same topic, slightly different context. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, You are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And I don't know if you noticed there, but that, that, that word that kept coming up in that text was the word stumble. Stumble, right. Yeah, and Paul shows us that out of Christian love, even though the Corinthians and likewise we have the freedom in Christ to do something such as eat meat that was once sacrificed to idols, which is no longer an right. issue for us today, but uh, by extension we could say wave flags in our homes, churches, public buildings. Out of Christian love, if it burdens the conscience of a brother or sister in Christ, if it causes them to stumble in the faith, If it wounds their conscience, those eating the meat in freedom, in our text, are actually sinning against Christ. 
the freedom we have been blessed with in this country is not the freedom to do whatever we want. It's often a thing we misunderstand. We often want to say that we are free, therefore we can do whatever it is that we want. But the responsibility we have to use that freedom to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Indeed, the prophet Isaiah writes in uh, chapter 57, And it shall be said, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. May we not cause our brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. Christ is the cause of stumbling for those who don't believe. Let not meat sacrifice to idols or flags waving at a public building be the cause of division among us, as that caller called him before. She said, Love our neighbor as ourselves. May Christ not divide us either. But rather may he be the cornerstone upon which we do all things and upon which we build and grow his church. Peter writes in the first epistle, in his first epistle in chapter 2, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Comforting words. We continue, So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. There we hear that word stumble again. Stumble again. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this whole time we've been talking about love, loving our neighbor uh, as ourselves, but Really, uh, the love that we have for our neighbor comes forth from the love of God for us. And in that text in, for, in, uh, in uh, Peter there, he says, Once you were not a people, once you did not receive mercy, mm-hmm. we were born in sin. And, of course, uh, that's why we need that, that, the gift of baptism, which, which uh, cleanses us and gives us the forgiveness of sins, gives us a washing and rebirth and regeneration. And, and because we have been uh, saved by grace uh, through faith and that gift of God, we extend our own love to other people. Because God first loved us, we not only return uh, love and gratitude towards our Heavenly Father, but also extend that love towards our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so kind of leaving the topic of, of the controversy uh, for just a second, l- let's talk about uh, moving, moving the topic uh, from the public sphere inside into the into the church sphere so let's take mm-hmm. a step outside okay. the box and, and let's uh since we are a christian radio so show let's talk about flags in the context of worship okay and great uh, <clears throat> i think uh, uh, th- this can often be a challenging topic in fact i was talking to someone yesterday about it and uh, in- interestingly um most of the time i think we don't even uh, realize it we, we don't really even think about the fact that we have where do where do flags find their place in, in, in our church? 
Um, is there a proper place to put them? Is, is, should they not be there at all? And, and interestingly, I was talking to a fellow pastor uh, that I serve with at mm-hmm. our church in Zion, and he was saying how interesting it is that in World War One, that's when the American flag found its way into the sanctuary oh. of the churches because what are, what are Lutherans for the most part? We're, we have German heritage. And to prove our loyalty and our patriotism to our country, we said, well, we'll prove it by sticking an American flag in our church. So it's interesting how, how oh, that came in. Yeah, I didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. And for the most part, a lot of, in a lot of instances, that, that, that hasn't changed. But um, as is the case with everything that we try to sort out in, in the life of the church, we have to ask ourselves, what category uh, does the subject fall under? Does it fall under the law? Uh, what God commands us to do, or does it fall under the gospel? What God does for us. With the issue of displaying flags in the church or outside mm-hmm. the church, we don't have a command from God to do. We don't have a command right. from God saying, right. Thou shalt bear a flag, or Thou shalt not, not bear a flag. flag. Yep. But uh, there's also not a promise attached to it. There's no promise from God that if we bear flags in our churches, we will receive a blessing or the forgiveness of sins. Or if we bear flags on our porches at home, that our economy will get better, or that our nation will last longer, that we'll maintain more peace. Uh, we have neither a law or a promise, or a promise. in Scripture. Okay. Yep. So when we as a church are trying to decide what to do about a certain thing or topic or issue, and there is no command and there is no promise from God in Scripture, we call it a matter of adiaphora. It's a big fancy word. It's a Greek word. Adiaphora means, basically means indifferent things, <clears throat> the things that are not commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. Now, interestingly, um, our Lutheran confessions and, and our Lutheran confessions by our book of Concord written in the 1500s uh, t- it talks about this in the formula Concord in article 10 uh, where it defines what adiaphora is for us from a, a Christian a biblical perspective therefore and here's what it says therefore we believe teach and confess that the community of God in every time and place has the right power and authority to change reduce or expand such practices according to the circumstances in an orderly and appropriate manner, as seems most useful, beneficial, and best for good order, church discipline, evangelical decorum, and the building up of the church. Paul teaches how one may yield and make concessions to the weakened faith in such external manners of indifference with good conscience. The formula then cites Romans 14, which, by the way, we just read that a few moments ago Mm -hmm. in our discussion of meat sacrifice to idols. Now, I just gave the definition of what adiaphora is. It also explains what adiaphora is not. And here's the definition that uh, Article 10 gives us. In the same way, useless, foolish spectacles, which are not beneficial for good order, Christian discipline, or evangelical decorum in the church, are not true adiaphora or indifferent things. So to summarize what our confessions, I know those words kind of get kind of big and clunky, but to summarize what our confessions teach us about adiaphora, if we add something to our worship service, or take something away, all our decisions must be made with a Christ-centered lens. Christ and the gifts he bestows are the reason that we come to church. Christ is the reason we as Christians live. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Outside the context of worship, wave your flags, support your country, But most importantly, love your neighbor. Inside the context of church, inside the context of worship, ask yourselves if if flags of any sort benefit good order, are useful for Christian discipline, or the building up of the church. In other words, if there is anything we do or have in our worship service that don't point people to Christ, 
in one way or another. It's probably not true adiaphora. We can, and we should, thank God for our country. But we can and should thank God for all countries and all people. Remember what we confess in our creed. I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. You know, that word Christian, I'm sure Pastor Brett has explained before, that word Christian in the creed is originally the word Catholic, which means universal. God's church is not just here in the United States. Uh Yeah, It's everywhere throughout the world, wherever Christ is faithfully proclaimed and believed. So when we come to worship our Lord, whether it be at 219 East Church Street here (laughs) in Marion, or downtown Columbus on South High Street at my church, or in someone's home in, in some other country, We are celebrating God's good gifts with a universal church that has no borders. It has no emblem other than the cross, the cross on which Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, died for you and for me for the forgiveness of sins. And I think think that kind of... uh, really summarizes in my, my, my opinion and hopefully through through the biblical understanding of, of how we need to really deal with this matter and, and it's it's a it's a tough reality in fact <clears throat> um, a lot of times uh, you know, I, I I love my country I really do but mm-hmm. we often sometimes get we get caught up in ourselves we get caught up in ourselves and yeah. we forget how important it is to, to care about to care about others absolutely yeah Uh, Well, I I think that probably wraps up the news, uh, along with some good news, too, hopefully. Uh, But uh, we want to go through the readings today. Is that kind of the plan? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. And uh, we uh, we use the three-year lectionary at our church here in Zion. I know you guys use the one-year lectionary, so it might might be a little different. But go ahead and read that first Old Testament reading. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 through 33 the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I will hope in him the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief, but though he causes grief He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. No, thank you for reading that. Lamentations, as the word implies, is a a book about sadness. It's Mm -hmm. lamenting. And what's interesting is right here in the middle, right in the middle of the book, we have comforting words. We We really have the gospel message, the steadfast love. Mm-hmm. As you read in that first verse, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love, a lot of times in our culture especially, we think of love as a feeling, uh, as an emotion. It comes and goes, oh, I love you today, I don't love you tomorrow. And we think it's a feeling. But here in, in the biblical sense, and, and I believe it, I'm pretty sure I didn't look this up, but I believe steadfast love is one Hebrew word. And we need two English words to translate it because of the fact that the word love mm-hmm. in English carries so much baggage. But that steadfast love, 
that commitment, that all-time commitment, that eternal commitment of God's mm-hmm. love for us never stops. Right. Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and I love that. In fact, uh, when, when I make shut-in visits, I'm preaching on this a little bit uh, on, on Sunday. When I make shut-in visits to our people mm-hmm. at, at Zion Church, we pray this prayer every single time I'm there. And it's interesting because part of the prayer, and it's found in the pastoral care and uh, companion that pastors uh, we, we bring around, um, we, we pray that uh, we would receive God's blessings as dear children. And mm-hmm. here I'm, I'm a young guy, I'm 30 years old, and I'm praying with these people. some cases we have one who's 103 and a half, and, and that prayer to remind us, and I'm praying for her to be to be a child, to receive oh, God's right. promises as a child. Right. You know, it's hard for me. Here, here she's a, a lifetime and a half ahead of me, 103 and a half years old, and yet we pray every day, God, your mercies are new every morning. Every single day is a gift. And for her, every single day. Oh. You, you never know. She, she's in hospice. You never, you never know. Oh, never know. absolutely. That, that's great. I like that. You, you never know when the Lord's going to bring her home, and that's, that's her prayer right now. But yet again, every day on earth is a gift. Every day on earth is a gift. And then we have that uh, the second part of verse 23, Great is your faithfulness. We have a hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, that, that we have in our hymnal, and, and referring to God's faithfulness. God is always faithful, even when his children are not. Absolutely. And that's, Absolutely. that's that comforting message of the gospel, that we stumble, mm-hmm. using coming back to that word, we stumble. We stumble with each other. Mm-hmm. We stumble before God. We break his commandments, yet God is faithful. Mm-hmm. He keeps his promise alive for all of us each and every day. Yeah. It's meant for us every day. Mm-hmm. The next yeah. verse, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We have that hope in the Lord and that hope, that assurance that Christ is going to come again and he's going to bring us to uh, his, his heavenly home, that place that he prepared for us to, after his resurrection and ascension. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Man, I think, going back to that 103-and-a-half-year-old uh, lady oh, yeah. who, who yeah. I was just talking about, who, who's on hospice care, she, for, for months now, she's been saying, Lord, bring me home, bring me home, mm-hmm. having to have that patience to wait for him. But the Lord is good to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Think of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek. We We hear that. And let him be filled with insults. Take that reviling that comes with being a Christian. It's part of our suffering that, that, that we are yeah. we're going to face in this world. But uh, in, in our weakness, God is made strong. For the Lord will not cast off forever. A lot of times right. with the suffering of this world, those people down in South Carolina, and, and uh, thanks be to God, the forgiveness that they've displayed towards oh. that young man is just, oh, it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. Yeah, but it's unbelievable. And, but y- you wonder, the people suffering in this world, feeling like they have been cast off, a lot of times, unfortunately, we, we get this temptation in our world to think that if things are going bad, it means God has forsaken us. But remember, God does not forsake us. Jesus was the one forsaken on the cross mm-hmm. for us. Absolutely. The Lord will not cast us off forever. But though he caused grief, now here's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. We, that, that text says, though he caused grief, he will have compassion. We want to ask ourselves, well, why would God cause grief? The answer is actually in, in the verses to follow in 33, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Interesting thought. Um, a lot of times, uh, when we when we see that he doesn't, or that he that God causes grief, it's really the fact it's comforting because God, uh, though though the evil one, though Satan, though devil, though, though the the power of sin, 
um, plagues us in this world, when it says God causes grief, he still has dominion over all things. So even mm -hmm. those evil powers that cause us grief and cause us mm -hmm. suffering, God still has power over them. So in one, that's the sense that he causes grief to happen. It's not, that, it's not his will, because that's what it says in verse 33, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. That's not part of God's will. Of course, God's will is not to have sin in this world. And that's why God sent his son into the world to, uh, to defeat sin, death, and the power of the devil. And, and we wait for that glorious day when Christ comes again to, to make that all in pure fulfillment. So I think that kind of summarizes uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Yeah, that was great. That was great. So it's a, one of my favorite chapters in, in the Old Testament. It's a, it's oh, a good text. Great. You want to read Epistle? Yeah, the Epistle is from Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, and verses 13 through 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly we urged Titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith in speech in knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this is not a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, th that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathers much has nothing left over, whoever gathers little had no luck. Paul here in 2 Corinthians, he talks about that grace mm -hmm. of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, and really by extension, uh -huh. God's grace extends to all churches, but here particularly, Paul's talking about uh, Macedonia, and in verse 2 he says, for in a severe test of affliction, uh, the suffering in this world can relate to those who suffer their abundance of joy. Mm -hmm. here, here, here's the real powerful uh, point of Paul's message here. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity, on their part, on their part, I think of the woman who, who gave uh, the widow's mite. The widow's mite. Yeah. Um, she she gave what she gave the means that she, really couldn't afford to give. Absolutely. And, and yet here in this text, the, the people, uh, their abundance of joy, their joy to help their fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and their extreme poverty, they've overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Uh, they, and, and what does it say in verse 3? For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, Paul's saying, and beyond their means. And that's surely the widow gave, uh, who gave that might, gave mm -hmm. beyond her means uh, as uh, um, of their own free will, begging us. 
here Paul's talking about him and, and his, uh, his, his fellow workers, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So often, I think, and I don't know if it's part of our culture, we have this, uh, this prideful um, aspect uh, to us where sometimes we don't realize how our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, even in our own churches, are, are, are in need. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're suffering, and, and we need to ask ourselves, what can we do for them? Uh, because what would Christ do for them? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Christ wants to give us his good gifts. God the Father uh, sustains us and, and, um, and gives us all that we need to support mm-hmm. this body and life. And so, uh, likewise, we should try to image uh, and reflect what, what the love of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have for us. And, and here are these people, these uh, giving beyond their means, it says, giving beyond what, what they really could afford to give because they wanted to take part in, that, in the relief of the saints, relief in the holy ones. And, and, and you know, that's an interesting word, too. How are we made holy? Uh, we're made holy by, by faith. Christ makes us holy. By faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we are made holy by faith. So in the relief of the saints, I used to ask the kids, uh, you know, I'd ask the kids, mm-hmm. are you guys saints? And almost all of them, you know, kind of shake their head no because they know that they disobey. And I, and, and yeah. I say, well, you know what? You can go home and tell your parents you are saints because of faith, by faith. Um, actually, you're made saints because of Christ. It's by faith that we are we are made uh, uh, saints. And that's uh, that's a thing that we... we you know, and in this world, we're saints and sinners. You know, we sin every day, of course, oh, yeah. uh, without exception. We have to struggle with that old Adam each and every day. But by faith, uh, we are washed new. We are given uh, the robes of Christ's righteousness. And um, in verse five, it says, "And this not as we expected, but they mm-hmm. gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us." Accordingly, we urge Titus. It's the same Titus that that uh, we know uh, the book of Titus, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrew, James, towards the end of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he should be complete among you, this act of grace, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And then Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What's genuine love? I think, it, you know, what is genuine love? Go back to that Old Testament text in, in Lamentations, the steadfast love. Steadfast, yeah, absolutely. Standing firm, without exception. There's not good days or bad days. God loves us. Steadfast love, constant love, committed love, all the time. All the time God is good. And then we have here in, uh, in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here, I love this atonement imagery. I'll explain that in a second. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Mm-hmm. We're poor. We're, we confess that in our, in our liturgy. We're poor, miserable sinners. We're poor. Uh, we just have, we have no richness in and of ourselves prosperity or earthly wealth aside spiritually we are poor miserable sinners but yet the grace of our lord jesus christ though he was rich he he took on the form uh, of man he became a man uh, for us in order to make this glorious glorious exchange in which he became poor he Mm -hmm. took on the sins of the world on that cross and in exchange we can have christ's righteousness christ's perfection um Christ's holiness by faith. What a glorious and wonderful exchange. And it's interesting that Paul uses this, this imagery of poor and rich, um, especially in the context of this chapter, since he's talking about the, the poor giving, the poor giving beyond their means to help out the, 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 their brothers and sisters right. uh, in the faith. 
Then in verse 13, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. In other words, it's saying don't give to the point where everyone else can be relieved of their burdens and now you become burdensome. Paul's not saying that. But that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. And, and how, how many blessings do we have in our country? The abundance we have. We don't realize it. Oh, yeah. We, we complain about money, and yet we're driving a, a, a $30,000 car. Uh, we complain about not having a big enough house, and yet the house that we have is air-conditioned, no leaks, wa- running water. We have heat in the wintertime. I mean, we are so blessed in this country, and yet, and yet we think in many instances that, that we're, we're poor. And, 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 man, in comparison, mm, we, are just, we are just so abundantly blessed. Absolutely. Uh, verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. To, to, to support our brothers and sisters, um, to give those who are in need. And, and it's a reflection of what Christ gives to us. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's go on to the gospel reading. How about that? All right. Um, the Holy Gospel is from the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and, sp- and spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And she immediately, the flow of the blood dry and immediately the flow of the blood dried up and she felt in her body she was healed of her disease and Jesus perceiving himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned around in the crowd and said who touched my garments and his disciples said to him you see the crowd pressing all around you and you, you say who touched me and he looked around to see who had done it but the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Humi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. 
and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Amen. Amen. Once again, here we see Jesus. He cares about people. He cares about the welfare of the body. He, that's why we have the doctrine of the resurrection, and we see this uh, so, so played out. He cares about, uh, he loves his people with steadfast mm-hmm. love. Said Jesus had crossed again on the boats the other side. A great crowd gathered about him. He was beside the sea. And then came a ruler of the synagogue. Interesting. We sometimes leave yeah. that part out. We try to remember his name, Jairus, but he's the ruler of the synagogue, and he's coming to Jesus for help. And seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him, saying, My little daughter is about to die. Lay your hands on her, so that she may li- well she may be wi- made well and live. Mm-hmm. And Jesus went with him. Now, of course, Jesus didn't have to go. His word can heal. His word has power. God's word has power. He could have just said, your, your daughter is made well, but for the sake uh, of that man, he goes along with him. And a great crowd followed him and thrown about him. And there was a woman who had been a discharge of, or had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And I love this because here we are in the middle of the story where Jesus is about to go heal someone, and here comes someone else. Yeah, right. And, and you'll notice that the woman was bleeding for 12 years, and the little daughter was 12 years old. That number 12, mm. you know, it's kind of, kind of symbolic. We, we see that often throughout the New Testament. Uh, and uh, it says that she had suffered much under many ph- physicians. First of all, to, to be in, in a medical state like that for 12 years, to have that kind of suffering, I don't know how you yeah. don't lose hope. Yeah, It's only by the grace of God. And I, I have a family member who's been suffering for over 10 years with a, with a terrible disease. He's had next to no quality of life. Mm-hmm. And yet his hope, his only hope, is in the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all he's got in this life. And and we pray that the Lord would sustain him in his faith, just as he sustained this woman who was hemorrhaging for, for 12 years. She suffered under many different doctors. She spent all that she had. Man, medical bills can pile up quick today. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, this woman had nothing left. And it says she was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, so she had heard the news that Jesus could be a healer. Jesus was a helper. Mm-hmm. Jesus was a friend. And she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. What faith. Absolutely. She knew that Jesus had the power to heal. Just She wanted to just touch his garment. It, but it wasn't the touching of the garment that healed her, as we'll see in just a second. But as soon as she touched him, as soon as she touched his garment, immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, and this doesn't mean that Jesus lost power at that moment, he just felt that something had happened, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And I love this question the disciples ask. In fact, a lot of times I love the questions disciples always ask. They're always saying things that we wouldn't expect the disciples, the students of our Lord, to say. And they say, You see the crowd pressing around you, this great amount of people, and your only question is, Who touched me? Typical of the disciples. It's one, no yeah. re, there's no, there's not a doubt in my mind that that's the reason why Jesus always says, "Oh, you of little faith." Mm. Always, always trying to teach these guys. But Jesus, in verse 32, looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him. Why was she afraid? She had just been healed, and I think, as the text kind of makes clear here, she had mm-hmm. heard the reports of Jesus. Mm-hmm. She knew that he had the power to heal. And yet to see that power firsthand, wow, that's something oh, to yeah. behold. Oh, yeah. That's something to behold, just touching his garments. But as Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
your faith has made you well. It wasn't touching the garment. Right. It was her faith. She believed and trusted that Jesus had the power to heal her. And Jesus says, go in peace and be healed of your disease. And that, uh, uh, now we go into verse 35 where that, that kind of short story, the woman hemorrhaging is over. And while Jesus was sp still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Mm -hmm. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jesus said to Jairus, don't fear, only believe. The Greek here, don't fear, continue to believe. That ongoing, that pre present imperative of only believe, continue to keep on believing. Don't listen to what they said. Dead or alive, I have the power to bring back to life. I have the power to heal. And, and that, that's what Jesus is telling him. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Back then they had a, a group of people, professional mourners, who would no. come and grieve for, for you. Um, I believe it's Matthew said that there were flutists playing, professional flutists playing songs of uh, dyers and, 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 and sad songs to help grieve with the family. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. <laughs> and they laughed at him. No, this guy's dead. That's the report. That's what everyone believes. Now, whether or not Jesus said that uh, this girl is dead, or this girl's not dead, he, he emphatically mm -hmm. says that she's not dead, but she's sleeping. Now, whether or not sleeping, which is often a euphemism for death in the New Testament, whether Jesus uh, is trying to make a point here or not, the point is, is that for all intents and purposes, this girl is dead. Right. Dead, sleeping, whatever. Jesus has the power to raise to life. Jesus has the power to heal. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Reminds us of Lazarus. Come on out. Jesus' word has the power to heal. Jesus' word has the power to save. And immediately the girl got up and began walking around. And here's where the 12 comes in, for she was 12 years of age. Mm -hmm. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And it, uh, this gospel text, just as Jesus was healer, mm -hmm. through his word and sacrament today, Jesus heals us both in body and in soul. And, and those are the comforting promise of the gospel that we have to cling to when, when, we, when we come and approach scripture, knowing that Jesus came into this world to, to die for sinners like you and me, Alan. Yeah. To die for sinners like you and me. Absolutely. And I think uh, we're, we're, we're about running out of time. I think we so. have about a minute and a half yeah, left. Yep. Well, uh, well, folks, we, uh, we want to thank you for, for joining us this morning on the Wittenberg yeah. Door. Uh, the Wittenberg Door is sponsored by Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Marion, Ohio at uh, 219 East Church Street. If you don't have a church home, uh, we welcome you to come and worship uh, with us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. or Saturday afternoons at 4.30 p.m. That's a new worship service for that, you guys. That's a new just one, yeah, yeah, for those that can't make it on Sunday. Sunday morning, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah it's very good. Yeah, but we call them excuse busters. Yeah, when, when oh. people say I can't make it to church on Sunday, well, we'll have another church service on a different yeah, day of the week. I learned that from my vicarage, uh, my vicarage supervisor. Oh. That's what he called him. But if you have any questions about their congregation, feel free to contact Pastor Brett at uh, 740 7403750599 or by email at bcornelius62 at gmail.com. That's B-C-O-R-N-E-L-I-U-S. 62 at gmail.com 
you have any questions or comments from uh, today's broadcast, feel free to contact me. I'm Pastor Hermoic once again at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church. Phone number there is 614-444-5995. My extension there is 18. Uh, this broadcast will be re-aired Sunday morning at 9, 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. And again, Wednesday evening at 7, 12 p.m. And we invite you to join Pastor Brett and Alan next week at uh, the Marion County Fair. That should yeah. be a good time. Lord willing, we'll be there. Lord willing, you'll yeah, be there. All right. Absolutely. Well, have a good uh, good weekend, everyone, and God bless you and keep you always. Thank you.